0: We end up with Plato's Silver People, where, in, so in Plato's Republic, he talks about gold, silver, and bronze, and gold are the philosophers, bronze are like the craftsmen, silver people are the the warriors, the yeah, the security guards, the kind of the martial people. And you end up with this, like I think, this glorification of silver people and what that would look like at its ideal. And yeah, if, if that's what you think is best in life, that's what the best thing would look like. And there's going to be some character that feeds towards that goal, but that's not a philosophical life.
1: Welcome to Stoa Conversations. My name is Caleb Ontiveros.
0: And I'm Michael Trombley.
1: And today we're going to be doing another movie review. So we're going to stick with the theme of Greco-Roman movies, I suppose.
0: And we're <laughs> Greco-Roman, go... t- Greco-Roman tough guys stabbing people.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we're going to... <laughs> Uh, other big film in this genre from the two thousands was of the movie Three Hundred, so that's what we'll be uh, talking about today. When did you first watch this movie?
0: I can remember exactly when I watched this movie. I was like, must have been like fourteen. Would have been like first when it came out. Um, I was pretty excited about it. I remember really liking it. I mean, I, I remember because I was at a, I was at like a a. I was away for a Jitsu tournament and I can remember like watching it in the hotel room being like, This is this is really cool. I don't think it had like a large impact on my character or anything, but I remember it being very cool. And I was like, That was a that was an enjoyable movie. What about you? Yeah, I probably watched it around
1: the same age, thirteen, fifteen or or so. And uh yeah, I also had a similar impression. I thought it was cool. It's like the first kind of movie I had seen of this type um but it didn't it didn't stick with me say as much as gladiator did like i think gladiator is a movie i thought about more and but then 300 was like that was awesome and then you know what's <laughs> what's next
0: yeah it's kind of like candy or whatever it's 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 um it's very sweet going down but then it's not it doesn't nothing to really chew on or digest after or i mean some things that you on, we're gonna do that but uh, didn't didn't have a big impact on on me as, as same seems like it was the same with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's something I have thought about more, uh, perhaps as I've gotten older. I feel like there's maybe a little bit more to reflect on, but at least when I first watched it, you know, it's not wasn't wasn't that memorable. Um, we're gonna be looking at some of the philosophical themes, some general uh, reflections uh, I'll be touching on, but before that, we should do a little bit of an intro to the film for those of y'all who haven't seen it Um, and of course there'll, there'll be spoilers so 300 it's based off of a comic book by frank miller it came out in 2007 and that comic book in turn is inspired by the battle of thermopylae which was an epic last stand of a small elite spartan force of 300 delaying a massive army's advance So it was a battle between the Persians under Xerxes and largely Spartans, uh, along with a handful of other Greek allies under King Leonidas I. Um, So in the movie, the Spartans are are portrayed as holding off the Persians and sacrificing themselves so that the rest of Greece has time to mobilize in self-defense. And that's uh, that's the general story. You see Leonidas and his men leaving to hold off this oncoming horde, fighting uh, in a rather glorious manner, and essentially doing what they intended to do, sacrificing themselves while the rest of Greece uh, and the rest of the Spartan army is able to be mobilized in self-defense. That's the that's the general move, thrust of the of the movie, which isn't to say it's a general thrust of history. You know, you know we'll get into this a little bit longer, but that's a, that's at least as, uh, as far as the story of the movie goes.
0: And in some way, it's kind of interesting. Look, it's almost an underdog story in some sense. Um, like the odds are as cool as the Spartans are portrayed; the odds are permanently stacked against them. Kind of like your, your Rocky situation or something where it's just maybe if the, even if they're excellent, the kind of external circumstances are so far against them that even just to kind of stand up or have done well, you know, have to have held them off for as long as they held them off, it becomes this kind of new standard of success. Not about really winning the battle, but about, I mean, being excellent in that kind of defeat or maybe changing the goal to not winning, but to delaying the inevitable.
1: Right, right, so they're able to hold off the army from advancing in the small pass, essentially until the uh, they are betrayed, and a uh path uh, is revealed where the Persian army can encircle the rest of the Spartans, and you know that's that, uh, but they're able to hold them off for two to three days or so.
0: I mean the reason the reason the Spartans are portrayed as losing is because they're betrayed by um
1: Ephialtes.
0: Yes. Um, who is in in this movie at least physically disabled, unable to be a proper Spartan warrior. And so uh sides with Xerxes kind of either out of revenge or to get what he wants, which is power and success that's not accessible in the Spartan life. So they don't really fail because of a fault of their own. If anything, they maybe um maybe they maybe it's a kind of a tragedy because they fail because of a um, either something not in their control or something that was a blind spot because of maybe trusting this person too much, you know so that kind of that virtue got twisted back against them right right um and that'll come up later as we talk about it,
1: yeah, yeah we'll d- we'll dive more into that that aspect of the story, uh certainly, but I think what we'll do is similar to the Gladiator discussion, some of the other reviews is go through some of the aspects of the work, the movie that we think are good, some that are not as good, and then think about, you know, what are some of the provocative sort of questions or anything else that we teased out that were interesting. Yeah, let's do it. Nice. Yeah, this, this first item that I picked out in terms of good aspects of the movie is I think it does capture some of those idealized, perhaps to some extent, mythical Spartan virtues that are captured by, and you see described by, some of the ancient Roman Stoics. So Musonius Rufus has a number of citations. Uh, He talks about the Spartans a decent amount. And in particular, he calls them out as paragons of people who were able to not just endure pain, but not see pain as a bad thing so he talks about an example of a young spartan boy who a classic uh view stoic view is that pain is not necessarily bad and pleasure is not necessarily good and the spartan boy was like well isn't pain good uh and sonia (laughs) says you want to be closer to this to this boy who's able to ask basic questions like this uh and cites other uh, spartans who are able to endure uh, training and hunger, thirst, cold, beatings, and essentially endure hardship in the way that the Stoics admire. You know They knew that these hardships were merely physical and perhaps there's even a kind of pleasure in being able to endure them and survive them and so on. And, and that's what you see portrayed in the movie. You see uh, a bunch of exceptionally capable, almost superhero-type men who are uh, physically strong, withstand pain, laugh in the face of death.
0: Yeah, there's a kind of excitement or joy to the fighting in this movie. Um, I think they show, which is what you were alluding to specifically with pleasure and pain, but the Spartans show that it is possible to have a different relationship with things, or radically different perceptions of things that that we in our society take for granted as being bad. So like death, we take for granted as being bad. Pain was an example you raised. And so they show this first stoic claim that you know, we're not troubled by, we're troubled by our per- impressions of things, not by the things themselves. The stoic claim that we, are, we feel certain ways because of how we think about things, not by the things themselves. And a, a really easy way to demonstrate that is to have somebody feel differently about something that you think is making you anxious. If you think death is making you fearful and anxious and somebody is not fearful and anxious around death. Well, that's very clear evidence that it is our impressions of things, not the things themselves that are making us fearful and anxious. And we, Caleb, recently had a uh, conversation about a criticism of Stoicism, that Stoicism is impossible. And one of the criticisms was that, or one way of putting that criticism was that there are some things that are just going to force certain reactions out of people. And you might say, like, you know, if if you're confronted with death, you're just going to be afraid. And these Spartans, at least in the story, were people who were not afraid of death. And show that that kind of impossibility, uh, if, if, if it's not wrong, at least it doesn't extend as far as people think it does. Um, in, in most things, we can reconceptualize. There was a quote with Leonidas, and he was told that he was going to have to either surrender, retreat, or die. And basically, he responds, well, that's an easy choice because Spartans don't surrender and we don't retreat. Mm-hmm. So we're going we're gonna to die. And the, the idea of framing choosing death is an easy choice that's just, that's, it's, it's both impressive, like, again, this hero, as you said, but then also, um, I think kind of paradigm changing. of, oh, that's even possible. It's even possible for a human to confront that kind of situation with that much conviction and confidence, you know, not even courage in that sense, just conviction about, well, this is the right thing to do.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. It is, it is a possibility proof in a sense that we know, of course, even though this is just a movie, in some sense, it is idealized, <laughs> a mythical, and so on. We do know there are characters like this today, and there have been people like this uh, throughout history who've been able to perceive things like pain, adversity, uh, death, and so on, in a completely uh, different light from the typical one. And uh, we can also connect it to wealth. So just I'll read a passage from uh, one of Mycenaeus Rufus's lectures that that connects to this, to this general theme. Spartan boys who were trained to endure hunger, thirst, cold beatings and other hardships. Raised in a strict environment, the ancient Spartans were thought to be and in fact were the best of the Greeks, and they made their very poverty more enviable than the king of Persia's wealth. So there are a few different ideas and now you have that idea that training matters and that you see a little bit of the of the film the Spartan Agoge and that it's possible to change yourself into someone who can endure someone who can value uh, in the Spartan case martial virtues and not wealth and in fact, you know have that have a kind of character that might even be enviable to people who are exceptionally wealthy. To the extent that the film communicates values, you're much closer to or at least feel more affiliation with the Spartans instead of the rich, wealthy, you know Persian, uh, generals or Persian king in this case, Xerxes, of course.
0: Yeah, there's another there's another Stoic idea there about because the, the it cuts two ways, right? There's the, the things that you think are bad or not don't actually have to be bad, like pain, like training, poverty, um, at least in relation to the uh, to the Persians, and then the things that are good are not necessarily good, right? So you have these very in the movie these. Incredibly rich rich Persians, but they're um Xerxes in particular the king, but he's portrayed as being morally corrupt, not the kind of person you want to uh envy or be like and so you know the, the people in the bad spot it's just an inversion right the people in the bad spot the Spartans they have they have that character they have they're, they're admirable, and then the people in the good spot or the supposedly good spot the the wealthy leaders of the Persian army are, um, almost, you know, detestable or at least not, not enviable in the way that's portrayed. I yeah. And I think that's interesting. And I think that, I mean, I want to connect it back, Caleb, to the first Masonius quote, your first reference you made to the Masonius quote, which is this idea of like, you know, well, at least spend more time around these people, which is say, Hey, if you're, if you, I think that's a kind of a stoic lesson is that, you know, if you're only raised in one type of way of living, you can think it's the only way to live or you have to think these things way about things. And so I don't think the Stoics would encourage us to be Spartans, but Masonius' point was not to be a Spartan, but Masonius' point was if you spend time around people who can show it's possible to live differently, that can be very motivating and very inspirational uh, about the kind of breadth of options we have available to us and ways of thinking about, again, things like death, pain, mm-hmm. uh, that we don't have to think about them the way we've been raised. To think about them.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's well put. I suppose if I, I just try to capture it it's in this movie, you see some of that Spartan ability to have different perceptions about what is ultimately valuable, and some of those for many people, I think you want to be you know, if not a Spartan, you don't live in the Spartan world, obviously. Something that's closer to that, perhaps you know, don't think pain is as bad, don't think wealth is as good, and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, Cool, what else do you got in terms of uh, aspects of the movie you like?
0: Well, another thing I like about the Spartans, um, again, besides just being like, the very cool, they're very cool in this movie. um, I think we can learn something about the Spartan action over too many words, even as Stoics. They're not, they didn't pontificate their values, they didn't, talk about them they just they lived them they they enacted their values even if it meant death even if it meant uh pain and hardship they said it you know it's better to die than to be a coward and they went out and they died uh, it's better to you know die fighting for something that's valuable than to retreat uh, and live but but you know harm your family or you know don't achieve your goal and they they went and they fought to the death and they they did so. At least in this portrayal, willingly and gladly, I'm sure that some did, you know. If not as as cinematically, I'm, I'm sure there, there's there's a lot of accuracy there. And so I think that like I think that acting by your values is really really compelling, um, especially in such dramatic situations. And there's this whole thing called laconic phrases, which are these pithy pithy lines that the Spartans have. I mean, they got some great ones in the movie, but this idea of you know. I'm going to encapsulate something in as few words as possible, and then I'm going to stand behind it with my actions, and that's going to make it way more compelling than if I wrote a whole dialogue about it. Right? Mm-hmm. One line in the movie, you know, they're they're asked to give up their weapons by the the Persian army, and they say, you know, come and take them, and that's a that's a factual line, Molan um, Labé, and that just that just this idea that so much is communicated in so few words. There was another one I don't think it was in the movie, but Xerxes wrote and said you know if i if I invade um I'll turn you out like if i if I come there and i i'll I'll um basically i'll I'll capture Sparta, and the Spartans famously wrote back with one word which was if so you know if you if you if you come here, if you choose to do that basically you know challenging um Xerxes and I mean, it's not just that these are witty lines. They're great lines, but it's this idea that you're going to stand up behind them. There's action backing them, and people reading them says there's confidence that these people mean what they say, and so they don't need a lot of words to communicate it. That, I think, is uh, something I-, I want to aspire to as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so this battle happened in 480 BC. So, Soicism didn't uh, properly get started until around 300, but I think this... The Spartans were a paradigmatic example of this laconic tradition that the Stoics took up. You know, if you read uh, any of the Roman Stoics, you'll find this sort of same aphoristic type style where they do their best to boil down their principles into a memorable, direct, and short way. Um, and one of my favorite parts of the movie is just that so many of these some of the of the lines given to the Spartans. Is that you get many of these laconic sayings that appear in ancient historians, biographers, Plutarch, and Herodotus uh, in in the mouth of the Spartans. So that's so that I think that's awesome. You know, there's a there's a line when the Persians threaten to blot out the sun with their arrows, and you know the quick response, then we will fight in the shade, uh, and that's you know recorded by a Herodotus. And then there's the queen. Gorgo, who has a number of reported sayings and plutarchs the sayings of the spartan women i think my favorite of those is when king leonidas is heading off to fight the persians you know she she says come back with your shield or on it and i think that communicates uh, that spartan some of those spartan values of ensure that you win or you die doing your best to to win, you know, die an excellent, excellent death. Uh, there's a there's another story. I think I think this is in Plutarch where apparently, after, when after at the end of a battle, Spartans would be told who the fallen were, and the family of the fallen would rejoice, and those who were related to people who had not died would mourn, as there is some possibility that the people who had not died, uh, six, you know, they. Ran, they ran away or they acted cowardly or something of this sort.
0: Yeah, I, I and mean, that connects to one of my other points. I'm always looking in media or art or even just my own life, examples of people that win even though other people would say they lost. These examples of a way, I don't know if it's like an obstacle is the way, but it's a way of if you can recontextualize what's going on to kind of pull victory from something. I, meant, I mentioned Rocky earlier as an underdog story. And I think the reason this makes me think of Rocky is because that's a story where, spoiler for the first Rocky, but he, he loses the, the match. But it's like a happy ending because he fought so well. It's very impressive. And this, this situation where they won, as in they got what they wanted, even though conventional wisdom would say that they lost, right? They were killed. Which in conventional wisdom is probably one of the worst things, if not the worst thing, that could happen to you. They were defeated in battle, but in their sense, they they got the victory. Um, and I mean that that connects back with the if if you died in battle, you got the victory, you won. Uh, and if you didn't, as you were saying, there's there's this grief or mourning. I don't know if that's true, but there's at least the concern that they didn't fight bravely. There's a possibility of of not having victory. And I think I think those kind of those those radical reconceptualizations of things are are really valuable, um, and this was a good example of it here.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the the reason that it's important to do that, I think, isn't just because, uh, you know, there's there's something intrinsically valuable to reconceptualizing things. It's that so much of, from the Stoic perspective, so much culture glorifies external things only. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those external events that are things that are not up to the people involved, the things that are random or uh, and doesn't respect people doing the best they did, you know, given the situation they faced, which is ultimately what's uh, what's that most important.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean, that connects with the Rocky example, right? Is like in both that one and this one, those are character judgments that they're taking as being more important than failure in external matters mm-hmm. um, and any sort of, yeah, any sort of film that puts that character. I mean, I think that's like the ends up being kind of a stoic message, right? It was where the, this, the personal victory becomes more important than the external defeat. And so, as you said, what well, we get in this really, this habit, this in I say indoctrination, but just this pattern of thinking because so much pushes us towards thinking about what's outside of you, thinking about externals, thinking about externals, so any, any sort of uh, film or, or inspiring piece of media that pushes you back into, well, actually what was really at fight, well, the real battle here was about their characters, right? And the, the Persians snuck behind, defeated them cowardly. The Spartans did not. And so the, on, there's two levels and on the character level, the Spartans won and it's a happy ending. Yeah. I think they kind of like, I think they try to have their cake and eat it too. Because in the very last scene of the movie, it's like, ah, now we're in a position to fight back because you held off the Persians. Like, there's this thing of, like, there's this kind of external victory, which is that you achieved your goal in delaying them, and now we were able to be more successful in a later battle. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of like, maybe that's because they wanted a happy ending for the movie. Um, And I think there's some truth to like, there's some historical truth to that, certainly. But... I don't think what the Spartans did was impressive because it succeeded in holding them off. I think it's, it's impressive because it's the, it's the internal battle, right? And I, I like it when it stays on that level.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Or it's, it's impressive because, it, as it's portrayed in the movie, it was the best action for yeah, holding the off the force. And whether yeah. or not the army that comes next you know, does, plays their part or manages to win is irrelevant to the worth of the, the
0: Spartans' actions. That's um, the perfect way of putting it. Yeah, they did yeah, their yeah. part the best they could. And that's, a, that's not impressive because the other people succeeded. It's impressive but on its own.
1: Right, right. So, another aspect I like about this movie, and I think this will get into some of the more thorny, contravi- controversial philosophical aspects is that one reading of it is that if you took a Spartan and asked them to make an artistic film that expresses their values, sort of like modern Spartan propaganda or something of this sort, this gets pretty close to it. Yeah. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that Spartans, although there are of course many some similarities with uh, cultures in the past and so on, they were an alien society. They're very different from Modern people, and of course, very different from ancient peoples as well, different from people in the other ancient Greek city states, to say nothing of the Persians and so on. But what you see in this film is a kind of morality that glorifies beautiful people, strong people, people who are free, individual, and so on. And all of those people are Spartans. And it's demonizes, sees as bad, the weak, the ugly, the effeminate. Um, The Persians are, you know, they're displayed as either barbaric beast-like people, or in the case of Xerxes, people who are oddly androgynous and effeminate. And then Ephialtes, the character who betrays the Spartans, you know, he's a disabled, hunchbacked individual who was too weak to serve in the Spartan phalanx. in fact, you know, it's he says that his mother took him away from Sparta because he was going to be one of the babies who Spartans you know would have discarded because you have this uh, idea that uh, Spartan society was exceptionally martial and they would discard any weak infants uh, and so on. This is somewhat historically challenged, but that's a for the sake of this conversation we'll, assu- we'll assume that so. Um, there's some complexity there. But anyway, you have this idea that here's this character. He's a hunchback, disabled character. His physical deformities map onto his internal character, his vices. He's not someone who's able to control himself and have self-control in the same way that uh, Leonidas is. So when he's rejected from serving as a Spartan, then he becomes a traitor essentially for the sake of wealth, women, and so on, which of course is not the modern view where you have stories like Beauty and the Beast appearances don't match up to character or the hunchback of Notre Dame and so on. Uh, So in that sense, I think this film is interesting because it's in some ways a more genuine portrayal of antiquity than other films that may even, in a sense, be more objectively, historically accurate, uh, because it does get some of that, uh, betrays to some extent some of that value system. And I think that there, there's a value to that in arts, whether or not you agree with that value system, there's a value to betraying how other people thought in an accurate way.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I don't love some of those uh, values, but I love this idea that, um, it's how a Spartan would feel about being a Spartan or how a Spartan would feel like it emotionally resonates with the spirits of the Spartans in a way that I, you know, watching to me comes off as, I don't know, sometimes gross at times or sometimes um, not necessarily a a value that I commit to or, or believe in but it's almost through the lens of the, they're almost seeing the other people through the lens of the Spartans or how the Spartans would represent it. I think that idea of it being Spartan propaganda and then pulling you into that, the way that 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 would feel to be a part of that. um, Yeah, that's a really valuable perspective.
1: Yeah, I think that, and I think that's perhaps one way in which this film is perhaps in a way more accurate than Gladiator for capturing at least part of the the ancient world, where in Gladiator this part, the this movie has some of these problems as well, which we'll talk about, which I'll, I'll complain about a little bit later. But you I think Gladiator, you have that sort of uh view where what is Maximus aiming to do at some parts, you know, follow Marcus Aurelius to build out a republic. What is a republic? Well, it's very similar, at least it feels very similar to something like a modern Republic or something of that sort. Uh, Whereas in this movie, you have this view of good people, beautiful, strong, you know, bad people, uh, deformed, effeminate, and uh, and so on, which is closer to what what the Spartans would have, uh, uh, in fact, actually believed.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we're able to jump into the parts that I thought that was bad about the movie, I mean, I guess there's two levels you can look at it. On one level, you can look at it like an accurate representation, and I think that's right. On the other level, I thought that's I, I guess I just disagreed with some of the Spartan values. If we're putting it that as like an accurate representation of Spartan values, I think I just disagree with some of them. There's this emphasis on genuinely eugenics, at least in the film, about you know killing killing babies that are unfit or doing the kind of training that would cause children to die if they're unfit for a martial life. There is this notion of masculine ideas in a way that doesn't really resonate with me I mean I I think there's uh, I you know my view of masculinity I think there's I think there's definitely uh it's definitely important and that's a complicated topic but well my view of masculinity is not certainly is uh you know judging men that you know Xerxes has like makeup on you know and it's like oh he's a bad guy because he's got makeup and he's like kind of um effeminate as you said and that's like that's like now you can code it as like this is the bad guy. That stuff to me doesn't, doesn't track at all. Uh, and, and is very strange. And then yeah, you're you're either you're either Leonidas, um, or you're you've got some sort of terrible facial deformity if you're on this the Persian side. Um and it's just it's just I just don't agree with it. You know, I mean the same way that I think the the Athenians would look at the Spartans, as you said, the Spartans are alien, right? In the same way, the Athenians would look at the Spartans and view them as alien or different. Admire them for some things and judge them for others. I think there's stuff that's worth judging here, and it it, it idealizes some good things and some bad things, or it, it it um demonizes some some things that I don't think are worth demonizing. We we talked a lot about the importance of what's inside, and there's a lot of judgment about what's outside too, right? And a lot of glorification about what's. What, external things a lot of glorification of things that are outside of your control in terms of your you know your body your beauty your strength things like that
1: yeah 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 i suppose there are those different levels where you can react to it sort of as a film as a work of art or there's the you know how does this rank as a moral work what values can i take away yeah. from it and i think that The fact that it serves as this kind of Spartan propaganda means what you can take from it is limited. But I I do respect people who just try to portray things as they are without moralizing, if only because I think it's better to, you know, there's that line from Spinoza, you know, do not weep, understand, and... Before making a value judgment, it's better to see, you see things as realistically as you can and then think about the moralizing, where occasionally the moralizing gets in the way of making judgments about, about the past or the present, I should say. Um,
0: yeah, I, I guess like another way to frame this is that like a movie that portrays a cultural perspective that I disagree with does not make a bad movie Does not make a movie that should be made. But definitely, if we're, you know, if we did in the first part looking at things that we admire or want to learn from the Spartans, I think there it also reveals a set of things that I don't admire and don't want to learn from them.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I suppose it's an interesting uh, question for me because it seems like when you're pulling out moral values or lessons, the obvious one we've mentioned already, which is that you have that that domination of pain that self mastery the relationship with wealth and so on um and then you and then one wonders you know what's left from 300 that you can take in terms of a, a positive a positive lesson i like, do you think there there are other aspects of either masculinity or f- philosophy culture what have you that that are worth taking from or is it largely you know these uh these other values Are interesting to portray, and maybe historical, artistic type sense, but uh, we're not left with much else else to take away.
0: I think there's a set of. I think there is certainly a set of masculine ideals, Uh, but I think you can have those masculine ideals. I don't. I don't want to go too much into like the, you know, the kind of masculine versus feminine thing, but I think you can have those masculine ideals without hating what are to me external indications of things like if masculinity means something, it means something to me internally about courage, mm-hmm. you know, strength, the ability to stay true to your word, to do what you say. And so the opposite of, I'm mean, not necessarily the opposite of masculinity is not necessarily femininity, but something that would be, uh, you know, betray that is something like cowardice, um, uh, selfishness, weakness, lack of self-control, and I don't think those things need to be represented. I just don't see the jump to the external world, right? They don't need to be re- represented by being physically ugly. They don't need to be represented by having uh, some sort of disability or by uh, the man wearing makeup or something like that. And that kind of movement, I think the, I think the personality trait is really admirable. I think the, the portrayal of what you demonize or what the enemy is, is something that is confusing to me. Because I don't think that's necessarily what makes the enemy. I don't think that's that those external things are what's at risk. But that's like a kind of a movie thing, right? You combine, right, right. you 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 combine these tropes, you combine these kind of images to make up the uh, to make up the villain or to make up the enemies. But I think you know, if there's a stoic lesson, there's just as stoic a movie to be. You know, it's just a stoic. We talked about the Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's just as stoic a lesson to have someone look at the hunchback and be like, "Oh, well, you know, I don't really care what you look like. Like, let's talk. Like, what's your character like?" To me, that is just as stoic of a of a lesson as to to admire the person who fought to the death. Both of those are about focusing on the character instead of those external parts. I'm not sure if that answered the question exactly, but I think that's like the weird thing. It's like. The Spartan, to put it differently, the Spartans idealize certain internal states, and they idealize certain external circumstances and characters. And I think they got a lot of the internal states right. And I think they do a good good job of not caring about external things that other people care about, like pain, like uh, you know uh, hardship, like death in, in in battle. I think that's that's really admirable. But then I think the the things that they judge externally. Are just as poor to judge as the person who wants uh, material things, who wants the comfort, and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um that
1: that, that I think that's well put, and I, that connects just to one of my the things I don't like about the film is that it was made by um is that it has that sort of black and white, all or nothing, mm-hmm. absolute type thinking about some of these values, some of these questions. And it seems like the sort of thing that one also will get in most superhero films as well. You just have, these are the good characters, they have all the good attributes, both internally and externally, and it just so happens that the bad characters, well, they have all the bad internal and external attributes um, as well, Um, or ones we conventionally think of as, as good and bad.
0: I thought there was a funny line in the movie and just speaks to your point about like, Oh, it's portraying as it was where Leonidas calls, um, the Athenians, the philosophers and the boy lovers. And he doesn't mean either of those things positively. And so you have Leonidas just like ripping into philosophy, uh, ripping into Athens, cementing themselves as the other, uh, but then in the good way. Right. And then, and then all this other stuff is kind of, um, as you said, if not evil, at least worse.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you also have you have a little bit of a slip where modern values are sort of injected to the film, nonetheless, in the way that also makes it worse. Where the there's a lot of focus on freedom, the Spartans fighting for freedom, and little investigation into you know what does that actually mean for a spartan like what's the positive view of life and how does that map on historically even for even for the mythical sort of idealized versions of of the spartans you cannot make say well it's going to be certainly quite a bit different than what we think of what we think of today and some of the modern tropes i think with with the senate uh and so on are uh don't don't land don't land as well as, as as a pure focus on uh you know the, the characters in battle and so on.
0: Yeah, we get no discussion of slavery either, um, or no kind of mention of that. But I, you know, Caleb, my 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 view has been really changed by what you said at the start. It keeps coming back to this view of it as Spartan propaganda. Like, yeah, you probably wouldn't have that in your Spartan propaganda. So we see the kind of, um, we're we're only getting a certain piece. Um, yeah, some modern values coming in, this focus on freedom. And I think that that's that part. I guess that's why I was connecting about we don't see the slaves, right, is we don't, you know, the good guys don't own slaves. And so you're preserving their status as good guys from the modern lens by not portraying their kind of their slave ownership or their slave abuse. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're also portraying them as more individualistic than they were, especially with the battle scenes where the characters will go off on their own, uh, you know, dominate different Persians or die in a glorious way, when in reality, Spartan battles were communal. You know, they did in fact fight as the phalanx. And to go off on your own would either mean you're routing the enemy and hunting them down or uh, your phalanx has been broken and it's probably, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, game over for your side. Whereas it seems like there's always that need, a much more modern need to focus on the individual, see them triumph as uh, an an individual in, in battle, as opposed to that much more communal communal centered uh, focus that uh, focuses on you know the man to your left, man to your right, and so on.
0: Yeah, and it just doesn't look as cool. I don't think the. <laughs>
1: yeah, that it just is so much more boring. It's like a rugby <laughs> rugby scrum or something like this for a few hours. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But So one, I guess one question is, if you're trying to s- s- make a steel man the Spartan approach, isn't it something like sometimes externals are indicators of internal values? And they're not always, which is why you shouldn't have the absolute thinking type approach. But there is a sense in which at least, it, I think it probably depends where you are in the modern world, and you can go either way but sometimes external features of someone, you know, if if someone is obese, is that a sign that they lack self-control or is it, uh, just a sign of their disposition or something like this? And uh, you want to say, well, it's probably evidence that they lack self-control in a way that someone is skinny does not, but that doesn't mean you should make that absolute judgment. But it also doesn't mean you should blind yourself to the fact that you have evidence about that person that you don't for some ordinary yeah. uh, skinny person.
0: I haven't heard this steel man before. Is that you say? Is that just like the opposite version of straw man? Like a steel man is like the best possible version of it?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Steel man's just uh, right. trying to come up with uh, trying to be I'm charitable.
0: Gonna steal, I'm going to steal the steel man. I'm going to use <laughs> that from now on. Um, I mean, I think it's like I think. Look, character influences your external circumstances uh so people with better character uh will have more success externally than somebody in the same situation with a worse character um or at least in many cases that's the case certainly in cases as you said of like physical prowess that requires a certain amount of courage in the face of pain requires a certain amount of self-control not excluding the, the fringe cases where you could say well somebody maybe you know, lacks self-control if they're like a obsessive exerciser or they're abusing steroids. There's kind of fringe cases. But if you think something of like, you know, what would the person, perfect person be like? Well, the perfect person would probably not succumb to the vices of overeating, would not succumb to to the vices. Yeah. I I don't know of like not being willing to exercise because they're, you know, it's, Painful, or it requires a kind of a, a kind of willpower, or something like this. And I, I think that's I think that's fair. But I think that, and this is one thing I wrote is we end up with just like kind of Plato's silver people, where in so in Plato's Republic he talks about you know kind of gold, silver, and bronze, and gold are the philosophers, bronze are like the craftsmen, silver people are the the warriors, the yeah the security guards, the kind of the martial people. And you end up with this, like, I think this glorification of silver people
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and what that would look like at its ideal. And I think that, yeah, if if that's what you think is best in life, that's what the best thing would look like. And there's going to be some character that feeds towards that goal, but that's not a philosophical life that puts the philosophy at, at the highest. And I think what's at risk when you start I'm trying to think of the right way to say this when you start saying making judgments like oh well that person's not in shape so that person must have a weak character when you, once you start adding any sort of must judgment like that you're just going to kind of make these categorization mistakes unless you know this person super well and you understand the situation really well and in and and that and then another point i would say to that is just like you know it doesn't say anything about your character to have like a wart on your face or to have you know a kind of asymmetrical look there's this kind of there's this kind of Idolization of beauty in that film—that um, mm-hmm. to me is—is is not well. That speaks to having good character. No, it's just beauty in, in itself is a value that that they idolize, right? It's not. It's not that the beauty reflects something. It's not that the beauty indicates something. Maybe it's a, like a rather poor proxy for character, but might as well just skip that then.
1: Right. Right. That is certainly a different case from the case where you can at least think, well, this external reality is evidence of internal character. So I guess there are different cases. There's the one where, in some cases, it's not any evidence at all, uh, like having a hunchback or something like this, probably not much evidence at all of any kind of internal character. And then other cases where, well, you have evidence, but is that enough for a judgment? I think typically the Stoics are going to say, no, but you also shouldn't, you know, so are so very wary of judging other people, especially their character overall, but it might be relevant for making day-to-day decisions or something like that.
0: Yeah. And then I would say there's the third case where Epictetus makes fun of the people who brag about their libraries and their book collection, right? Right. Because the, the how many books you read is supposed to be evidence for being a good person. And he makes fun of those people because like, I just skip the, skip the middle part, you know, skip out, cut out the middleman, just be a good person. And so it's the same thing where it's like, look, if you're like, and I, I, you see this with workout culture, right? I want to be a certain person. So I'm going to develop my body to be a certain way. And everybody needs that, like, or you need a strategy of, of self-cultivation. And if you're going to pick one, I think exercise is a great one to do. But at, at a certain point, it's just like, you know, you can cut the, cut the middleman too, or if you become the kind of person that goes around and just thinks the good people are the ones that are in good shape, or. The ones that are beautiful or the, m- m- able to fight like a Spartan, um, you're you fall into Epictetus's point where you're idolizing the people who can recite Chrysippus, right?
1: Right, right. Yep, yep.
0: Yeah, excellent point.
1: Uh, shifting, shifting uh, topics a bit into perhaps another another area where one could find a model uh, as opposed to maybe some of these Spartan values that serve more as an anti-model. Is the relationship between Queen Gorgo and Leonidas is like a kind of model relationship, actually, which is not something I had realized the first time I viewed it. There's a very famous scene from 300 where Leonidas, you know, shouts, "You know, this is Sparta," and he kicks the messenger into the well. Before he does that, app the messenger has essentially insulted the spartan people the queen and so on and this being the case leonidas looks at queen gorgo for implicit approval to uh kill the messenger and there's that scene where he you know he's clearly he's squared off and then he looks back to the queen and she nods and it's at that point where he yells you know this is sparta and kicks the messenger into the well and you get a sense throughout the film that decisions are harmonized between the two of them. You know, he decides to defy the Spartan oracle, uh, but he wants or requires her approving, t- her approval and her support so that he's going to make this decision, and he gets it. You know, there's that the the line that Gorgo gives. You know, the only woman whose opinion should matter to you or mine. Um, And in the leaving scene, you know, I think Gorgo provokes him to you know aspire to great things. Come back with your shield or on it. And in turn, Leonidas is devoted to her, includes her in uh, his thinking, his decision making. And when he dies, it doesn't say anything about Sparta. His final words are, "My queen, my wife, and my love." Which I thought is in a way, in a way, it does give you a. A kind of model relationship between two characters who are hyper masculine, hyper feminine, but are harmonized in a way, that they're uh, even if they're separate, their their spirits are you know they're so aligned. You get a, a nice picture of a, of a relationship.
0: Yeah, that's nice. Um, I did think it was this. I did think we, we've talked a lot about this, about like it being hyper masculine, but it was absolutely a movie that said there is we're trying to achieve something here and in trying to achieve that, there's a lot of place for, there's a strong role for the women to play in that. And then I would say a strong, at least in the way it was portrayed in the movie, I'm not a historical expert on this, a strong kind of uh, agency from the women who also thought it was a good thing that they were doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Who also were bought into this, um, into this goal basically of raising, of raising, giving birth to raising and supporting this, like these like super soldiers, basically there's something, I mean, maybe that speaks to your individualism comment earlier, you know, about grounding this movie, not in, he doesn't die and think of Sparta, but he dies and thinks of his wife as a, as a romance. Um, but yeah, that, that didn't occur to me. It's an interesting point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it is true. Historically that among the Greek city States, Spartans Gave more of a place for women. There's that exchange between the messenger and Queen Gorgo, and the messengers like, "Why is a woman talking to us?" Uh, Xerxes' messenger, you know, "Why? Is, this is no place for a woman." And there's a quick response, you know, "This is a because Spartan women are the only ones who give birth to real men," um, and. Uh, we we can do another conversation contrasting you know the pros and cons of the different Greek city states, but as far as uh, the place for women go, uh, Spartans had more agency than say the Athenians, even if the Athenians were uh, better in other respects. Cool. Anything else you want to say in terms of uh, provocative points? Any other items to that the film made you uh, think of?
0: Um. I mean, I think by way of summary, I'm really taken by your propaganda comment. I think that explains a lot. And I think the danger, like propaganda, like all propaganda, is that if you watch it unreflectively, it makes seem, it makes, it tells a very black and white story. And I think there's worse stories to, to learn than the Spartan one. But I don't think the, I don't think the Spartan story is black and white. I don't think, um, I think there's some Stoic aspects to it. I think there's some aspect that I agree with, and there's some aspects that I don't. But um, as a historical artifact, or no, it's not an artifact <laughs> back from 2007. <laughs> um, but as as a, as a way to kind of get into this that that feeling of you know we're the best, we're the beautiful and the good. These people coming at us are the enemy. They're bad. This story, this it feels black and white because to them it's black and white. I think it does a really good job of that. And as you said, portraying things without moralizing them, at least not moralizing them from a modern lens. Maybe moralizing them even positively from an ancient lens, if the Spartans did think they were cool and good. And so, I, I think uh, not not one of my favorite films, but I think in, I think enjoyable, interesting, uh, beautifully shot, and a, a good encapsulation of a lot of Spartan values um, in a way that I appreciated.
1: Yeah, I think you can get some of those stoic values that we talked about in the very beginning, the focus on uh, endurance, withstanding pain, not thinking much of wealth. I It's not an exceptionally historical film, but I do appreciate that many of the lines are taken from ancient sources. That's awesome. And then it gives you that picture of Spartan values, Spartan propaganda, that. Uh, is at least worth thinking about. And what's worth thinking about, you know, these ideas about the past being a foreign country uh, and so on, and value systems different from yours or mine.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks, Gil.
1: All right. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to Stoa Conversations. Please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend. If you want to dive deeper still, search Stoa in the App Store or Play Store a complete app with routines, meditations, and lessons designed to help people become more stoic. And I'd also like to thank Michael Levy for graciously letting us use his music. You can find more of his work at ancientliar.com. And finally, please get in touch with us. Send a message to stoa at stoameditation.com
0: if you ever have any feedback, questions, or recommendations. Until next time.